Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. All right, I know that there might still be a few glow kids in the room, maybe not, but if there are, they can go out now, and uh, I'd invite the rest of you to open your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter. As a church, we've started a series in the epistle of Peter, his first letter, and today we're in part five, part five of our series. If you've missed the previous parts, I'd really encourage you to go back, get onto our YouTube channel, um, and subscribe if you haven't yet subscribed, and uh, you could catch up on all our sermons on our YouTube channel. So Peter has specifically described Christians for us. He's given Christians this unique title that was exclusively used for Israel in the Old Testament. These two words, elect exiles, are strong words that Peter is using to refer to a predominantly Gentile congregation. And part of the reason is that God has done something new in the new covenant through Christ. Jesus has brought about a new covenant and included in the new covenant are both elect Jews and elect Gentiles. But there's hostility in the early church. There's hostility in this particular context. And so they're not only elect, but they're also exiles. They're going to be a marginalized people. And so as exiles, we, we know that this world is not our home. We are simply passing through. We are sojourners, and we're called to be distinct. We're called to be in this world, but not of this world. We're called to be cultural outsiders. We will be marginalized. We will be set apart. And it's all because we're following King Jesus. We're not following the ways of the world. Peter refers to your former life. We have given up our former life. And we've followed the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the same breath, Peter doesn't want us to withdraw. Peter wants Christians to engage culture. He wants us not to compromise. We're not called to to blend in. But we're called to bear witness. Bear witness to Jesus. And so the question is going to keep coming now through the epistle of Peter. And that is, this is how we should live. How now should should we live? And, uh, and he's told us last week, we looked at this, that we should be sober-minded and we should be set apart. Be holy as I am holy, God says. Be set apart. Be different. Be in the world, but be set apart for God. And now, today, we're at verse 22. And Peter is going to take specific aim at a unique but not uncommon ethic. But he really raises the bar. And he's going to take aim in verse 22 at specifically two things. He's going to speak about sincere brotherly love. And then he's going to say that we are to love one another earnestly. And so this ethic of love is at the forefront of what we will see today. Now, the first thing we need to know about these two sentences, sincere brotherly love and love one another earnestly, is this. These are commands. So that that we need to think through carefully. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't a 
uh, an optional extra. This isn't, hey, if you feel like it, or, you know, if maybe things are going well in your relationships with the people around you. No, no, no. This is at all times. This is a commandment from the Apostle Peter by the Holy Spirit. We are to love one another earnestly and sincerely. Now, what we're going to see as we read the text is that Peter wraps these commandments with the riches of God's grace. And this is a pattern in the New Testament. Uh, Theologians speak about imperatives, commandments, and indicatives. And often these two things are put together. The imperative is what you must do. This is the Christian's duty. It's imperative that we do this. But how do we do it? Do we look within? Do we dig deep? Do we, do we kind of lift ourselves up by the bootstraps? What do we do? No, no. The, the indicative is this is what God's done for you. So you do this in light of what God has done for you. And Peter's going to show us that this is what we are called to do. We must love one another. And the, the, the uh, indicative is that because of God's riches, the riches of his grace has enabled us to do this. So let's read the text. Chapter 1, verse 22, and we're going to go through to chapter 2, verse 3. Remember, in the original, there were no chapter divisions, and so this actually forms part of the whole context. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away All malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Father, we pray as we look to your word now that you'd speak to us. We pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what we need to do, because Peter is flowing almost seamlessly between imperatives and indicatives, and imperatives and indicatives, and that's the structure of this particular passage. And so to make sense of it, what we're going to do is we're going to follow the river of Peter's thinking back to the source. And so he begins somewhere, but there's a whole lot of stuff behind each statement, And so we're going to follow the river of his thinking back to the source. And so the big question he's asking or pushing on us is you need to love one another. And how is this love produced in our lives? Where does this love come from? So step one, we see in verse 22. Step one is love one another. Love one another earnestly with brotherly love. Now, where does that come from? How do we do this? Well, This love is rooted in having been purified. Notice in verse 22 it says, having purified your souls. 
having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for, there it is, for. So what's behind brotherly love is a form of cleansing, purifying. And the language there is indicative of salvation. In other words, you've been saved. You've been rescued. You've been adopted into the family of God. Therefore, love one another with a brotherly love. There's that family word, brother. We are now family. This is a new family I've been joined to. This isn't just any old love. This is a unique love. This is a biblical love. This is a, a family love. And so what's behind this high ethic of love is the fact that we've been saved through our obedience to the truth. Now, what's behind the moment of our salvation? Well, he goes on in verse 23. This is step two. He says, since you have been born again. Oh, so that's how we got saved. We got saved because we were born again. Without being born again, there is no conversion. You don't repent and believe by yourself. It's the work of God. It's a miracle of grace. You get born again. Your heart is regenerated, and then you repent and you believe. And so Peter is reminding us of what we saw in verse 2 and 3, that it is God who is behind your conversion. It is God. It's always God. It's all of God. We give God all the glory for our salvation. How am I saved? Well, he caused me, verse 3, to be born again. And now Peter is reminding us, what's behind love is your salvation. And what led you to salvation? He says, since you have been born again. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the, the inward calling of God. There's an inward call that comes to all of us. And then he says there's another step. Step three is the outward call. See, not only is the, 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 the Spirit working in your heart, but actually God uses people like you and I and preachers and teachers to do the outward call. And so you need to love one another because you're saved. How did you get saved? You were born again. And how did that happen? Well, the Word of God came to you. Listen to what he says in verse 23. Since you were born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. It's the Word of God was the outward call. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God, and the Spirit of God does the inward call. The preacher preaches to everyone. The gospel goes out. We share the gospel. We share our testimonies. We do our part. God does his part. Verse 25, he says, And this word, the word of the Lord, is the good news that was preached to you. And so he's building a case. And his case is this. Here's what's behind your salvation. What's behind your salvation, we've spoken a lot about this, right in the background is God. God is at work. And he narrows it down even more. And he says, it's not, just, it's not just God, but it's the Word of God. The Word of God came to you. Verse 25, this is the Word, the good news that was preached to you that led the outward call came, then the inward call came, and you were born again. 
and you were converted, and then the, the imperative is, now love one another. Love one another. And so if we trace Peter's thinking back to the source, what we see is that brotherly love needs to flourish in your life because it's a fruit of salvation. It's the result of a purified soul. Verse 22. Love for others, love for the church, love for Christians is a primary fruit of salvation. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, is there brotherly love in your life? It's one of the evidences. It's one of the key evidences. If the life of God is in you, then the love of God will also be in you. If the life of God is in you, salvation, then that produces love for others. John writes it very clearly in his epistle in 1 John 4, 7 and 8 and verse 21. We read this. Let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God. There it is again. Been born again. And it's from God. And knows God. So I'm, I'm, I'm loving people. In the church, I'm loving Christians. And it's a sign of my love for God. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Wow. Anyone who does not love, brotherly love, love for the believers, love for the church, love for Christians, does not know God. Verse 21, this commandment, see Peter's not alone, John's saying the same thing. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Must. So we know where love comes from. This, this, this isn't just some abstract love. This, this is a unique love. It's a brotherly love. It's a, it's a love for your fellow believer. This is a family love. So let's consider this family love for a little bit. The first thing we notice is that word brotherly under family love. The language that Peter uses here is very important. The first thing he says about this brotherly family love is that it must be sincere. It's a sincere brotherly love. And the Greek word here is really interesting. This, this word sincere means unhypocritical. And the root behind that word is in the Greek context of a stage play where the actors would wear a particular mask as they adopted the role that they were playing out. And so it was all about mask wearing like you're doing now, but not that kind of mask. What Peter is saying to us about this word sincere is that he's saying, I want you to love one another, but don't wear masks. You can take the masks off. <laughs> Oh, COVID, eh? You know what I'm talking about. Don't edit this tape and get me into trouble. Context. 
There are other masks, remember, before we wore these, that sometimes we as Christians would put on. You know, we don't really want to be true. We don't really want to be real. We don't really want to be vulnerable. Of all places, Peter is saying, this is where you can be. This is where you can be vulnerable. If, if, if we only ever celebrate our victories as brothers and sisters, we're not really creating community. We're creating competition. We, the, the church, the church, the brotherly love of God amongst us should be a place where we not only feel confident to share victories, but we're actually confident to share weaknesses. It's a safe place where I can actually take the mask off and be real. And I don't have to fear rejection. And community, true community can flourish. Now I know that this is risky, right? This is risky. This is uncomfortable. We like to keep people at an arm's length. But Peter is saying it should be otherwise. It should be different. It's a sincere brotherly love. We've come into this by virtue of being born again. The second thing he tells us about this love is that it's an earnest love. It's not a flippant love. It's earnestly. Love one another earnestly. The word here can mean both intensity and duration. Both its depth and its length. It's both. It needs to be persevering love. It needs to be a consistent love. It needs to... Be a love that we experience through thick and thin. And so if we're going to take the masks off and we're going to be vulnerable, not just about our strengths, but also about our weaknesses, then we need to know that I'm going to be loved through the thick and the thin. Through the ups and the downs. This is a, a true love, but it's also a tough love. So it's not just always getting to hear what you want to hear. It's often hearing what we don't want to hear. Because that's True and tough love sometimes. But the most evident thing here about love we find in verse 1 actually of chapter 2. And this is the third thing where Peter is describing this nature of this family love. Where he says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now the interesting thing here is that these five what we would call vices are all designed to describe love's opposite. So he's been trying to describe love. It must be brotherly, it must be sincere, it must be earnest, and now he turns the tables from being a positive to, well, let's consider the negative. Let's consider the opposite of love. And so these would be terms or vices that describe anti-love behavior. This, is, this would be not true of the Christian church. Malice. Deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. And Peter is saying that, that's part of your former life. That shouldn't be part of your current life. Notice how realistic Peter's being, though. I, I really appreciate this. Because he's, he's just told them, since you've been born again. And now he's saying, well, there could be the possibility of these remaining Vices. And so he's not 
He's being brutally honest here. He, he's, he's not saying, well, listen, you're never going to struggle now. Now that you've been born again, you're never going to struggle with slander or malice or deceit or hypocrisy. No, no. He says, since you've been born again, now put these things away. In other words, you now have the means to fight these things. You can actually engage in combat. Peter is calling us not to passivity around these things, but to activity. Remember, love is a verb. We've got to be active in our love for one another. And part of that is fighting anti-love behavior, hypocrisy, slander, saying things we shouldn't say, gossip, talking about people in ways that we shouldn't talk about people. Isn't it interesting that in, in this verse, put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. He's not describing the work of the devil, isn't he? He's describing Christians. Since you've been born again, put these things away. The word put away is a common New Testament phrase. Paul also used it a lot to, ta- to, to describe, take off those clothes, take off those garments. They no longer look good on you. It's part of your former life. It doesn't look good on you anymore. It doesn't fit. You're looking, you're looking a bit ragged. You're looking unkept. Whatever it might be, it just doesn't suit you anymore because you've been born again. And notice also, do you see that little word, all, all malice, all slander, all deceit? In other words, Peter is saying that we, we can't be moderate about this. You know, there's that saying in life, moderation in, in all things. Not here. All. Get rid of all of it. It's not okay to, to have a little, to, to, to choose and pick and choose when, when you will be loving. No, no. This is a comprehensive call to family love. We've been born again into a family, the family of God. And what comes with it is a way of loving. Now, when I read all this and I hear this, I'm thinking, okay, Peter, I get it, but how? This is tough. This is tough. Have you seen how Christians behave? Do you know what I've been through in the church? Do you know the hurt and disappointment that people experience in the church? How? How do we love like this? How do we, how do we behave like this? I mean, come on, Peter, church gets messy, right? We get hurt, we get disappointed, we get disillusioned. And, and, and really what ends up happening is these people don't deserve to be loved like that. That's how we think. And so what are we to do? Well, Peter knows this. And so he wants to equip us. And so he says this in verse 2 and 3. After having said all of that, he says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Not only does Peter say you need a new wardrobe, but Peter here introduces to us a new diet. Family food, family love, 
flourishes when we eat family food. Pure spiritual milk. Peter says that we are all like newborn babies. Now, the interesting thing here is that Peter is not talking about immaturity. Peter is not saying, oh, some of you are still very immature, and so you need the milk of the word. No, no, there are uses for that analogy, but that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is we're all newborn babies, and the only way we grow is through drinking spiritual milk. We grow in our salvation. We grow in our sanctification as we feast on the Word of God. Our family food is not contemporary thought. Our family food is not what the culture says we should do. Our family food is the Word of God. Peter is not suggesting yet that now I've been a Christian for 20 years, so I no longer need spiritual milk. No, not at all. We're all in the same boat. Peter sees every believer, new believer, and you've been a believer for many years, and he says, you're like a newborn baby. And what do newborn babies need? Milk. Spiritual milk, he says. It's not, he's obviously talking figuratively. And what is this milk? Well, we go back to verse 24 and he describes it for us. For all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of the grass. Just pause there for a minute. By the way, he's talking about you and me. All flesh, people, all people. At our best, we're just a lump of dirt. Maybe a flower. And the picture he has here is a weed, you know. Sometimes those flowers that pop up in your garden and you're like, ah, is this, is this a real flower or is it a weed? No, no, it's, it's, in this context, it's we're the weeds. And every now and then we flower. And in contrast to this weak, flimsy weed, he says the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Why does he bring this? This is Isaiah 40 that he's quoting. Why does he bring this in here? Because the point he's trying to make is it's the word of God that brought about your salvation, and it's the word of God that's going to sustain your salvation. You don't begin with the word of God. Remember, he took us back step one, step two, step three, and we go all the way back and we realize it's the word of God that came to us. Verse 25, it was the good news that was preached to you, and that's what started the domino effect of the spirit of God calling you, saving you, rescuing you. Now love one another. Now now we go, oh gosh, how are we meant to love one another? It's so messy. It's so difficult. Well, you need the right food. Stop feeding on gossip. Stop feeding on contemporary culture. Stop feeding on your own emotions. You're a baby. You need to feed on the milk of God's word. This is how you're going to sustain it. Oh, you've got offenses and you've got disappointments with people in the church. Yes, welcome to the body of Christ. Welcome to family love. How are we going to grow? Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, 
The word of the Lord that started your salvation is the word of the Lord that will finish your salvation. It's both saving and sanctifying. It's the appointed means. It's God's appointed means. This word, the word of God, will never fade, never fail, will outstrip all flesh, and it will produce life. And so Peter is saying, you need to change your diet. When you're in the family, we drink the family food. We drink deep of the scriptures. We, we submit our lives to the Bible. We submit our emotions to the text. We submit our lives to the living and abiding word of God that remains forever. And here's what will happen. The quality of the milk will produce a quality of faith and love. That's how it works. Now you might be sitting there thinking, but pastor, not that you call me that. You can call me Greg, please. But for the analogy, you're thinking, but pastor, I, I, I have a hard time getting motivated. How do I, I mean, whenever I want to read the Bible, or whenever I want to, there's a million other things that come up, you know. When, when I think about reading the word or, or feasting or drink, I know I'm a, I'm a spiritual baby. This is how God sees me. I need the milk. How, how though? I don't have that longing. And notice that actually he says here, long for. Not just every now and then. Long for, he says, the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up. It's a commandment. Long for it, he says. He says, you're in this family. Family love is going to be difficult. Family love is going to be tricky. You need to long for this. Otherwise, you're not going to get through. And now you're thinking, but that's, that's not how this works, right, Peter? How can you command longing? I thought it's something that needs to come by desire. How can you command longing? Longing's the problem, right? If I longed for the word, I wouldn't, re- I, I, I wouldn't have a problem trying to read it. But that's the problem. I don't long for it. So how do we awaken longing? How do we obey Peter's commandment? And I think that's why he ends with verse 3 which I think he has in mind, Psalm 38. And he says this, if indeed, that could also be translated since indeed. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. How do we stir an appetite for God's word? Taste it. As a family, we, when we go out for meals, most of the time we, we order different things. It's almost like a rule. Don't order the same I mean, if you've got four people, why order four of the same? Sorry, if you do that, that's okay. <laughs> In our family, part of the joy is to taste. And then the, the most devastating moment is when you realize, you know it, eh? You ordered the wrong one. You know, when you, when you golden rule is if there's peanut butter... You've got to go with it, right? That, that's my golden rule. But because when you don't, you know, you, you've ordered the chocolate shake and Jethro orders the peanut butter shake and the minute I taste it, I'm like, do you want to swap? <laughs> and I know he's not going to swap. But I've tasted it and all I want now is, this isn't even chocolate. This is, this is, 
I want that peanut butter shake. Taste that creates longing. Sits under the word of God like you're doing now. Well done. You're drinking in spiritual truth. Taste and then the longing begins to grow. Taste, Psalm 34 verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when we, when we drink the word of God, this is the picture. When we drink the spiritual milk of the word of God, it creates a taste which forms a longing and an awakening, and you just want more. Why? Because it's not just words on a page. It's a person. It's the Lord. Taste and see. It's the Lord who is good. When we read and study the Bible, when we submit our lives to the Bible, when we go, this is what the world says, but this is what God says, and I'm going to submit to what God says, what do we experience? Law? No, we experience the Lord. It's the Lord who we encounter in the Word. It's God Himself. That's what we get in the Word. We get God. And so this is a commandment. Long for it. Submit your life to it. Because you're not just getting words. You're getting Christ himself. The living and abiding word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us this morning. It's difficult. This is a lofty, vision of love. It's, it's a love that we've tasted in some ways, but been afraid of pursuing. Sincere, brotherly love, earnestly, without malice, slander, gossip, envy, hypocrisy. Wow. Lord, we need your help. We do want to be this people, though. We thank you that this is actually an encouragement, Lord, that it's since we've been born again, you can do this. Since you've been born again, and not just anyway, but through the imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. The word of God saves, and it's the same word that will sanctify. And so we pray for a longing. We pray, Lord, that you would put in us a longing for your word that would produce a loving on your people. Help us to long for the word of God and help us to love the people of God. It's difficult, but it's your way. And not only is it good for them, but it's good for us. And so we ask for your grace to enable us to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.